Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Heavy Branches. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we're so excited to get back with you this week. We've uh, we've had a bit of a break. We've been gone for two weeks. Two weeks ago, Tanner had the flu. Did you test positive for the flu? Oh, I tested negative for COVID, so the doctor said that that was the only thing it could be. So, sort of. So, he had the flu, and I actually tested negative for the flu, but I was sick the following week, and I'm still getting over it a little bit right now, but haven't had a fever in like three days, so... Not contagious anymore, so we can get together and do this again after we were sick back-to-back weeks. So we're excited to be back with you. Yeah, we talked about doing it uh, online, but honestly, I I felt horrible. I don't think I could, and I could barely talk, uh, so I couldn't have done it two weeks ago. And I've heard him talk a little bit over the last week, but he hasn't sounded too great either, so... But, yeah, so we apologize for the missed weeks, but uh, we're excited to be back. Um, How was your week? Um, This week has been okay. (laughs) I've been very sick. Like I said, I'm I'm still kind of getting over it. Um, But I feel a lot better today than I did even yesterday and the day before. So my week has been spent basically just being in bed, recovering from being sick. I have went back to work a couple days now, which has been good. Um, but yeah, that's really been my week has just been being sick. <laughs> yeah. My week's been pretty good too. Um, <laughs> better than yours, I think. Uh, yeah, I missed, to, I missed you getting to preach this Sunday at our home church. Yeah. I got to preach at Sherman. That was great. Um, went well. I was really happy to be able to do that. And then, uh, starting this Sunday, I get to preach the next four Sundays, uh, at Glen Estee. And, um, so that's exciting. Um, I've preached one series before, um, you know, one full consecutive series before. Uh, so this will be my second time I get to do that, which is exciting. I'm ready for it. Uh, but, yeah. So uh, we want to, you know, remind you to mark your calendar. We haven't, uh, haven't done that in two weeks or three weeks almost, but... Um, the Southern Indiana Family Rally is June 19th through the 22nd. Um, if you know who Brian Schultz is, uh, his his home church is where that is being held. Right, It is at their church, right? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, if you want more information on that, you can go to the website, www.indianarally.com. And that's and, at uh, Kent Christian Church is the name of... You want to look that up and see where it's at. It's in Madison, Indiana. And just in case it needs clarifying, it's not just for people that live in Indiana. <laughs> uh, even though it's in the name, that's just location. You know, if you if you want to be a participant in that, you know, however far you're willing to drive, I'm sure they'd love to have you there. Um, another th- family camp is the Hillsborough Family Camp. That is July 22nd through the 25th. Then the next three things, including Hillsboro that I just mentioned, are all person-to-person things. So Hillsboro Family Camp, July 22nd through the 25th. The spring class that they offer each spring this year, it is April 4th, 11th, 18th, and the 25th. Um, And the, the class title is 21st Century Evangelism. That will be taught, led by Brian Scholes, and um, uh, that'll be a great class, I'm sure. I, 
if I can, I'm going to try to make it to that class. Um, and then the spring clinic that Hillsborough does, it's a, a, a three-day thing where uh, it's different than a lot of their other uh, preaching preaching weeks or preaching times. They actually, the preachers have um, a topic that they're supposed to maintain, um, and they're given, you know, specific passages, I believe, to preach from. And this week, this year's theme for the spring clinic is Keep My Commands. And that's May 14th through the 16th. All of those things are happening at um, Restoration Acres, um, which is the person per, person-to-person person uh, campground area. Which is up in Hillsborough, Ohio. Which is in Hillsborough. And so if you want more information on any of those last three things, go to p2pm.org, p2pm.org. Um, all of those are going to be really good events. Um, the class will be great. All, all of those are going to be very beneficial for anybody that wants to go. So I w- we both would encourage you all to, to check those out. Um, now let's hop into Luke. Feels like forever since we've been, been in this. Chapter 22. Yep, chapter yeah. 22. So if we wouldn't have got sick, we'd be done. We'd be, no, we'd be doing chapter 24. But yeah, we, this would we be our last one. We would have done 22 two weeks ago, 23 last week, and we'd be in the last chapter yeah. right now. So, yeah. But we're at Luke 22, 71 verses. Um, longest one yet, right? Longest one. Um, the chapter title that I gave this week is Final Hours, um, and you'll, you'll see why as we go down through the passage. Um, you know, as always, remember to read the passage, read before, read with us as we go through and read after, um, you know, make sure you know and see and understand what the scriptures are saying. Um, you know, check us, make sure that we're not just saying the wrong thing always, but let's hop in here to the key thoughts of, of chapter 22. Guess what? What? I have something for the first verse. Oh, you're back to your old ways. (laughs) So it says now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover was approaching. Now, I just wanted to give a reminder of what the Passover was for. Um, The Passover, you know, it goes all the way back to Exodus when Moses is, uh, you know, God is through Moses trying to free the Israelites uh, from Egypt's uh, hold, grasp, whatever you want to call it, slavery. Um, And... God is sending the plagues, and then the final plague, the last plague, is the the death of the firstborn son. Right. Um, and anybody that doesn't have the blood of lambs, or lamb's blood, over their door. The doorpost. Yeah. You know, if, if they have the lamb's blood, then then God would pass over that house. And he wouldn't kill the firstborn son. And he wouldn't son. kill the firstborn son. And so that is God passing over. And that 
became known as the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread back in Exodus. God said, you know, on this day, you know, you're going to remember this day by feasting on unleavened bread. That's, that is, that became the festival that God uh, made. Um, that was how the observance of the day uh, uh, happened. So this Passover, it, the significance of it is it has significant connection and foreshadowing to Jesus being the sacrificial lamb for all. Because when Jesus dies on the cross for everybody, and when we put our faith in him and then his shed blood now washes away our sin, now God passes over us. God no longer no longer sees the sin on our docket because Jesus' sacrifice was the punishment that we deserved. And we're going to talk about that a lot in the next three weeks, about Jesus' sacrifice, because that's, you know, the next three weeks talk about it a lot. But in the connection to the Passover, um, it is significant, because now in Christ's blood, God passes over us his wrath his punishment, the death that comes from sin passes over us um, because of the blood of Christ. So that was, uh, I wanted to make sure we understood that connection going into this chapter because, you know, that is uh, a big deal throughout the whole chapter. Yeah, sometimes it can be easy to forget what actually was going on at these different Jewish festivals and feasts, so it's important to to look back in the history of it and actually figure out what they were uh, remembering or celebrating or or what they were actually thinking about during that time um, with the different feasts and such things. So thanks for reminding reminding us of that. Yeah. So the next thing is as as we go down through this first section, we see um we see Judas begin his betrayal. Um, and I'll even read verses 3 through 5. It says, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. I'm going to read verse 6 as well. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to, betray him to them apart from the crowd. <coughs> So, throughout the whole book of Luke, we've seen again and again the character of Jesus. And here, we really begin to see the character of Judas, how he is, especially now in these last few hours prior to Jesus' resurrection, or prior to Jesus' crucifixion. And it's easy to see a dichotomy or a contrast between Judas and and Jesus. Judas, disloyal. Jesus, loyal to the Father, to his people. Judas, self-centered. Jesus, focused on obeying the Father, not focused on himself and what he wants as far as 
his humanly desires go, and we'll talk about that more later in the chapter. Judas, money-driven. Jesus, mission-driven. Judas, sinner, which the lamb died for. Jesus, the lamb that died. You know, there's a, a very clear contrast between the two, and and it's it's, you know, we sit here and we make a lot of judgments about Judas. Um, it's very easy to kind of kind of similar with the Pharisees. It's very easy to make judgments about the Pharisees, which in this case Judas is in cahoots with them. But we've got to remember, we've got to be very careful about the fact that we are sinners, and when we start making judgments about these sinners in the Bible, we are becoming Pharisees by making those judgments because the more we make judgments about people here, we're also going to make judgments about the people around us. And obviously we hold we need to hold people accountable. I'm not saying that. But just despising somebody because you view them as a greater sinner or worse than you is a lot different than holding somebody accountable and wanting them to be better. Right. Um, <clears throat> but that's an that's that's an important uh, thing that we see as we go down through this chapter is the the dichotomy or the contrast between Judas and Jesus. Now, what we find, what we I, I've mentioned this already, but what we see as we go down through this, is Jesus ends up being the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover. Jesus completes, you know, they've we've observed for years, that, that they observed for years God passing over them because of the blood of the Lamb, but now Jesus is the Lamb um, that takes the full wrath of God for sin, um, and that is why, you know, Jesus takes the time and tells Peter and John, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. And they go and prepare it. And then we find ourselves in the section of the chapter where it, in my, in my Bible, it's called the Lord's Supper. It looks like yours is yep. too. Same way in mine. Um, you know, it, something along the lines of the Lord's Supper is, is what this section is, this next section is about, starting in verse 14. Now, I actually um, want to read this section because um, there's a few important things that I'd like to point out from it. But just starting in verse 14, if you'll follow along with us. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is, fil- until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he, has, when he had taken some bread and given thanks he broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten 
saying, this cup is poured out for you. This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. So, the Lord's Supper. There's a lot of names for it. You know, communion. Um, you know, some some people even will call it the Eucharist. Or there, there's several names for it. The Lord's Supper is absolutely fitting. Um, that's often, you know, the reference that I give to it or communion. Um, and so the scriptures speak of how Jesus talked about how he won't eat it again until he becomes the fulfillment of it, which is just hours away. He is going to be the fulfillment of the Passover. Um, and then he gets into talking about remembrance, the remembrance of his body given for us on the cross um, and the covenant which is established by his shed blood, um, the blood that washes away our sins. So there's a couple significant things to talk about here. Um, first of all, that is the purpose of communion is to remember what Christ did for us, is to remember that he gave his body on the cross um, and to remember that the blood that he shed is the establishment of the new covenant, and in that covenant we find salvation and hope and purpose and a restored relationship with God. Um. God has given us so many different ways <clears throat> to remember what Jesus did for us. Um, in, com in communion time or the Lord's Supper is, is one of those where when you take the bread, you remember Jesus' body, and when you drink the juice uh, or the wine, you remember Jesus' blood. So you've got that as a way to remember uh, just the fact that we meet on Sunday— on the first day of the week, we remember Jesus' resurrection because it would have been on a Sunday. Um, think about baptism, uh, where you get dipped down under the water, you identify with Jesus' death, and you're brought back up out of the water, and it shows his resurrection. God has given us so many different ways to remember the sacrifice of Jesus because it is the most important and necessary thing about our faith, and it's what our faith is built upon, is what Jesus did. Yeah. And so, you know, that is the the main reason, the core, to why we gather on a Sunday morning. You know, the precedent for the remembrance of Jesus in the Lord's Supper is each Lord's Day, you know, The precedent for this is established by the apostles in the New Testament. And so each Lord's Day, um, 
there was a devotion to the Lord's Supper and meeting and and doing that on the first day of the week. And we see so, churches do this so many different ways today. Uh, like the the church that Tanner and I grew up at, and many many if not all other churches of Christ and Christian churches will will take communion every single Sunday. Um, and then you've got other churches. Sometimes they'll take it uh, like once a month. Sometimes they'll take it quarterly. I've even heard of some churches take it annually, just once a year. Um, some churches don't take it at all. Yeah, some don't don't take it. Um, but when we look at the pattern of the early church in the New Testament, we see that their their practice was they took it every time they met together. And it was for the purpose of exactly what Jesus says right here to remember what Jesus did, to remember this foundation of our faith. Um, and so, you know, when we do this, we do so to honor Christ as Lord. We we do so to commune with Him. You know that that is a time of of specific connection with Him and what He's done for us, just like baptism is. And it's a time to commune with each other. You know, as Christians, it's a time for us to commune with each other in like faith as a part of Christ's church. And I know a lot of people. <clears throat> That will say, well, if we just if we did communion every single week, it would lose its um, what's the word they use? They would lose its it would lose its significance, or it wouldn't be as important, it wouldn't be as meaningful because we do it every week. But if we're going to try to restore New Testament Christianity, mm-hmm. which is the main goal of the Restoration Movement, the group of Christian churches and churches of Christ that identify the restoration movement, what we're trying to do is restore New Testament Christianity. And so if we're going to do that, that's why we follow their practice of taking the Lord's Supper every time we meet on every Lord's Day, every Sunday. And going back to what some other people say sometimes, well, if you do it every Sunday, it loses its importance or loses its value. For one... That's why we have a communion meditation or some places call it a communion devotion or a communion thought where someone will get up and for a couple of minutes they're supposed to talk about why we're doing this and why, how it's, what we're remembering, that we're remembering what Jesus did. So that's one thing. But another thing is, is <laughs> I always laugh when I think of this. I, think, I don't know if you were in the class with me, but Jason Anderson told us this story. He asked somebody sometime, uh, well, how often do you kiss your wife? And the guy was like, well, every day, or if not every day, you know, five or six times a week probably at least. And he was like, well, doesn't that just lose its value and its importance then? Why you, why don't you just kiss her four times a year? Because <laughs> I guess the guy was at one of those churches that does communion quarterly where they do it four times a year. And so if you can kiss your wife more than four times a year and it not lose its value why is it that people think that if we do communion every Sunday, it, it can't have its value anymore? Yeah, and and I don't I don't say this to be mean, but if it, the same thing could be said about the time of worship that we have on Sunday mornings, or 
sitting there listening to sermons on Sunday mornings, the you know the repetitiveness of it, you know. If if that's the argument, the same could be said about all of that. Or what about like per, your personal prayer time or personal Bible study time? Yeah, it 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 comes down to a a strong heart of faith and a maturity in faith, and you know it does not become insignificant for those who really are striving to take their faith seriously, and especially considering. Um, the fact that it is about Christ's sacrifice and lordship, you know, that should be on our minds every day, compelling us to live a Christian life every day. Right. So it should, you know, it even more than just, you know, taking it on the first day, taking communion on the first day of the week, of the week not only should that be significant to us if we are, you know, taking our faith seriously, but that that thought is something that drives us every day and should be thought about every day. And Absolutely. if it's losing its significance, then there's a there's a problem there, uh, I would say, of the heart. <clears throat> and you brought up communion meditations. I could go on a rant. <laughs> but I'll just say this to keep it short and sweet. Communion medita- communion is about remembering Christ and what he did on the cross. It is not a time for many sermons about whatever biblical doctrine you feel like teaching. It's not a time for, you know, silly stories. Um, you know, if you tell a story... It needs to to relate to Christ's sacrifice on the cross in some way. And so often people get up there and do communion meditations that are so off base, that have nothing to do with the purpose, the point, the reason, the significance of communion. And that oftentimes is why people end up, you know, forsaking it is because it be is because it loses its significance in the in the manner of the devotion or the meditation that comes beforehand so if you do communion meditations or you have somebody in your family that does communion meditations really encourage them and hold them accountable to take that seriously and I had somebody tell me one time that I'm, I'm ranting. I had somebody yeah, go t- ahead, man. I had somebody tell me one time that it's hard to do communion meditations because there's only two or three passages in the Bible that you can go to that talk about communion. Okay. Um meaning this passage here in Luke or the other gospels that refer to it the first Corinthians passage that Paul quotes Jesus saying this. Um, and then, you know, a common thing is that you could read, you know, in any of the gospels, the actual crucifixion of Jesus. All of those are very valid options of, but you can, there are passages from the very 
you know, first few chapters of Genesis all the way through Revelation where you can find a scripture and it is a prophecy or or a foreshadow or in some way can relate to what Jesus did on the cross. And, you know, I'm not encouraging anybody to make biblical stretches. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to teach something that's not true. But just because there's only three passages that are, or two passages that directly say the Lord's Supper, that doesn't give us the right to make communion meditations that are just completely off topic or off base. There are plenty of things, I mean, I'm not trying to brag here. I have communion this Sunday. The book of Esther um, is about how Esther um, made a sacrifice to f- for the sake of the survival of the Jewish nation. And guess what? That survival of the Jewish nation then brought about the Messiah, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And her sacrifice, she risked her life, she made a sacrifice to save all the Jews from being killed. What is that what is that similar to? Jesus on a much greater scale sacrifices his life and not only sacrifices his life and there's a chance to be there's a chance that he dies. Esther, there was a chance she died, she didn't end up being murdered. Jesus actually does die and and sacrifices his life for everybody. So, you know, that's just an example. There's so many examples of ways that you can do that, but don't let the small amount of scriptures that relate to that keep you from being on topic. And if you're in need of some some ideas for uh, communion meditations a couple years from now i can really help you out because my good pal tanner here is currently writing a book i believe (laughs) aren't you going through i don't know if i'd call it a book maybe a pamphlet (laughs) he is he is i'm gonna call it a book he's writing a book that is a collection of communion meditations from every book in the bible and so i'll give him a shameless plug in a couple years when he's got that finished you can you can get your communion ideas there for a I'm sure it will be a reasonable price. <laughs> Maybe free. <laughs> it might not be worth free. Um the purpose you know, I I'll just say it one more time before you move on. The purpose of this is to focus on Christ. That is our focus every day. Um if we're struggling to find the significance of that then there is a heart there is a heart issue at hand because that is the foundation of our faith that is the the driving force and purpose of our life and um, we need to make sure that 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 is the focus on a Sunday morning whether it's you know in the worship service Jesus and what he did is the focus and who he is the communion meditate the communion meditation the the time of communion, the time of the Lord's Supper, the focus is Jesus and what he's done and who he is because of what he's done. And the sermon, you know, you, we preach doctrine, we, but the, the core of every sermon, the, the basis of every sermon is 
Christ crucified. Um, we preach Christ crucified, uh, and because Christ was crucified for us, um, we trust what he says, and we preach the truth and the doctrines of the Bible. Um, so all of this comes back to that foundation, and so I'm done with my rant. <laughs> you did well. Thanks. <laughs> um, so let's uh, move on from there. Um, oh, I I wanted to just mention, you know, Jesus speaks of the betrayal. Um, there's the betrayal of Judas. There's also a betrayal of Peter, which we'll talk about, you know, here in a minute. But the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy about Judas and Peter um, about their betrayals is another proof that Jesus's message is of God and and that he is the Son of God. And I just wanted to throw that reminder out there. Now let's talk about the the section here about where the apostles are arguing about who the greatest is. Uh, verse twenty four says, and there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. You know who who is gonna who is gonna be the one sitting right next to Jesus, or who was gonna be the one with the greatest crown, or you know, there's a lot of ways to put it. But Jesus, you know, Jesus makes the statement: whoever whoever, well, I just read it. In verse 26, but it is not this way with you, but the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. So the the point is the the one who is lowest becomes the greatest. So what does Jesus mean by that? Well, there's a parallel passage in John 13 to this section. And there are in in both of these passages there is significant teaching on humility and love. So, as Jesus teaches on humility and love, it's it is sadly ironic that Judas, in particular, is acting in selfishness and pride by betraying Jesus. You know, Jesus, Judas is hearing this uh, this teaching from Jesus, but um he's not learning he's not learning um he is acting in selfishness and pride and what i want you all to notice is that words and action are not the same to say you believe is not the same as acting like a believer um and as christians we must live out the sacrificial life that we that is expected of us that we are called to live so let me let me you know explain this with the scriptures peter loved jesus we see in uh verse 33 as jesus is talking to them you know peter responds it says simon simon but uh, Peter responds, but he said to him, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go to both. I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. 
And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. So here, you know, Jesus is calling out Peter for the fact that he's going to deny him three times. We can see from this that Peter says he's willing to do anything for Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. And although he said he would lay down his life for him, he, Peter really didn't understand that he would actually have to. Peter didn't yet understand what it really meant to love like Jesus was talking about. Peter didn't really yet understand that sacrifice, sacrificial love, is the kind of love that God and Jesus want from us. And so Jesus was getting ready to to teach this by doing it himself. Jesus is getting re- Jesus is getting ready to show all of us what love really is, and he does that by laying down his life for Peter and for us. Instead of laying down his life for Jesus, Peter denies Jesus three times before his crucifixion. However, and, and here's you know um, the major difference between Peter and Judas. Once Peter truly learned humility and love through Christ's sacrifice, we, we all should learn true humility and love, what it means to truly be humble and love someone else through Christ's sacrifice. Once Peter learned humility and love, Peter would go on to love Jesus as Jesus loved him. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, later on in life, Peter followed Jesus to martyrdom. Um, you know, church history tells us that he was crucified upside down by Nero in somewhere around AD 68. Peter began, you know, he the start of the church happened on the day of the uh, day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and who was there preaching Jesus as Lord and Christ? It was Peter. And he would continue to do that until he was until he sacrificed his life because he loved Jesus and wanted to serve him. And if you really pay attention through your study of the Gospels and, and on to in the book of Acts, really the moment that changed for Peter <clears throat> and for the rest of uh, the apostles uh, with their boldness was, was seeing Jesus defeat death mm-hmm. at his resurrection. Because it, it was before Jesus' resurrection that Peter denies him here three times, and, and one of the three times he denies him, Peter fails to um, stand up for his faith even in front of a servant girl is one of the three denials. But then after witnessing the resurrection, he goes from very cowardly and very scared in, in his faith to, okay, I've seen my Lord and my Savior defeat death, so if Jesus is even more powerful than death, I don't need to be scared of us anymore. So that's when we see him boldly preaching on the day of Pentecost to the very Jews that killed Jesus and told them that they were they were wrong and that they were guilty in the eyes of God. Yeah, yeah. So, so go and, ahead. and by the like Tanner said, by the end of his life, 
I wanted to to add in this detail. You, you told us that Peter was crucified upside down by Nero uh, with the Roman persecution of the church, and he was. The reason he was crucified upside down, if you were wondering, is because he didn't feel worthy to die the same kind of death that his Savior Jesus did. That's why he was crucified upside down. That was um, a request that he made because he didn't want to die the same way Jesus did. So you can just see how much of an impact the resurrection had on him and how humble it made him and willing to to actually die for Jesus like he said he would all the way back here in Luke 22. Yeah, but it took watching Jesus die for him to then realize that that is actually what it would require him to love Jesus back. So in humility and love, he learned to sacrifice like Jesus who loved him even to the point of death. So who is the greatest? Jesus says the lowest, the lowliest. Who is the lowliest? The one that is humble, the one that loves, the one that sacrifices out of love. Then Jesus, um, they go from this upper room and this time where Jesus takes you know, some final moments to really teach the disciples and the apostles. And from this, from the time, uh, you know, they leave from this time of the Lord's Supper and they go to uh, probably one of the most popular and well-known parts of Jesus's life is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the Bible says in verse 39, And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now the angel now an angel from heaven appeared to him strengthening him and being in agony he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground What we find here is the most perfect picture of faith and obedience to the father and we also so we see we see perfection which is only something that God is capable of but we also see the human the human side of Jesus and this is one of the most clear pictures of both the truth that Jesus is the son of God but Jesus is also f- fully human that is why this is so popular is because it is it is a beautiful picture of who Christ is in whole he is both fully god and fully man 
and that is necessary for him to be the sacrificial lamb, to be our Savior. Jesus makes this request to the Father to remove this trialsome duty from him so that he wouldn't have to endure the coming suffering. And, I mean, it's, it, is, it is something that God has asked of him, has expects of him to do, God the Father expects the Son to do, and, you know, I don't think the word trialsome even cuts it. I mean, it is a good descriptive word, but, you know, this task of his is he has to take on the wrath of God. And we see that from some of the scriptures. Yeah, a couple of scriptures I wanted to bring up. Uh, when When Jesus says here in verse... 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. This idea of of the cup uh, was used in the Old Testament on numerous occasions to talk about uh, the pouring out of God's wrath. And, and I wanted to read a couple of scripture references uh, to, to show you that because it's really important for us to understand what Jesus is asking for God to remove from him here when he says, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. So the first one I'll share is Isaiah chapter 51, verse 22. It says, Thus says your Lord, the Lord, even your God, who contends for his people, Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice of my anger. You will never drink it again. And then another scripture reference where we see this is Habakkuk chapter 2, Verse 16, excuse me, Uh, and Habakkuk says, You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. That's Habakkuk 2.16. So Jesus knows here that it's going to be very soon that he goes to the cross to endure the wrath of God. Because what what is happening in the mind of God when Jesus is on the cross is that Jesus is paying the price, the wage of all human sin. All of the sin that happened in that day when he was alive all of the sin that happened in the days previous, and all of the sins that we would commit 2,000 years after Jesus lived. All human sin, past, present, and future, is being paid for on the cross. And, and, and what I mean by that, if I can just take a moment and, and explain this, God is a, a just and a holy God. And because of that part of his nature, because he is perfectly holy, any time sin is present, 
his wrath has to be invoked. God, God cannot be in the presence of sin without his wrath coming out because he is holy. And so for any human to ever be able to have any kind of positive uh, relationship with God, their sin has to be paid for in, in the sense God has to exert his wrath because of that sin. And so your sin's going to be paid for. You can have God acknowledge that Jesus paid for it at the cross when he sees Jesus' blood on you, going back to the Passover where God would pass over um, the firstborn son being, being killed if he saw the lamb's blood on the door. If God sees his lamb's blood on you, his wrath will not punish you for your sin because Jesus took that for you on the cross. And that's what Jesus is praying here in Luke 22, that, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Obviously, Jesus in his humanity is going to be excruciating to endure the wrath of God on the cross. And the human side of Jesus is does not want to have to do that. And I, I don't think I ha- we have to wonder why, and no one would want to do that. But the important part is, is Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. He, he endures the worst part of hell, the the worst part of God's wrath, and that is separation from God, separation from the Father. Although temporary, you know, the scriptures speak of, and, and we'll read it later, but the scriptures speak of God turning from, from the Son as he takes the sins of the world upon his shoulders and, and dies, but that is... For Jesus, it left him in agony as he's praying, and he's praying so fervently in such agony that he's sweating blood. I don't think we grasp, I I, I think we struggle times to grasp how horrible complete and utter separation from God is. And because we don't grasp that, too often we do not see the horribleness of our sin. Jesus was sinless, understood how horrible our sin is, and was willing to take the worst punishment of hell in our place. So he made this request, but he remained faithful and submissive to the Lord. He said, not my will, but your will. Not what I want, but you want, but what you expect. And, you know, Jesus chooses to drink this cup 
And let me tell you something. He didn't just drink a couple drops of it. He drank all of it. He took the full wrath for all people. And thankfully, those that put their faith in him do find salvation because of his sacrifice. He fully commits to enduring the cross because he loves us and he loves God. He loves the Father. And what's amazing is his perfect faith and obedience here, we get to see what God does with the faithful choice of a righteous man. Um, using the choice of the most righteous man to ever live, Jesus, God saved us all. All of us that choose to put our faith in him. There's a reason that the Garden of Gethsemane is so <laughs> so often talked about because it really is a big deal. It really is it really is something that we really see the completeness of who Jesus was. How much he understood sin and how much he understood the wrath that he was getting ready to endure, but he chose to give up his life for us. He chose to endure that punishment for us. And there's a great Need to Breathe song about this uh, this section too, in the garden. In this hour of doubt, I see, yeah, it, it's a good song. May you take this cup from me. It, I would encourage you all to listen to that song. It's just, it's just called Garden. Yeah. I need to breathe. It is a excellent song, um, in my opinion, for for uh, if you do special music around communion time. Very fitting. Very fitting for the moment. Okay. A few more things as we um, continue down the chapter. Following following Jesus' prayers, Judas brings the crowd and they come to arrest Jesus. And Peter, well, yeah, Peter, you know, pulls out his sword and cuts off the, the slave of the high priest's ear. And what we find here is, Jesus does something that, you know, Jesus does something pretty important here. You know, Peter cuts off this slave's ear, and Jesus takes it and puts it back on and heals it. And not only is he doing a miracle and healing, you know, doing something good and healing the high priest or the slave of the high priest— but he's also wiping away all evidence of what Peter did. Now there is no evidence that Peter ever broke the law by cutting this guy's ear off. And likewise, when Jesus died on the cross, that's what he's doing for us. 
when we put our faith in Jesus, when Jesus' blood washes away our sin, he is taking away all evidence that we ever sinned in the eyes of God because he took those sins and he took that punishment for us. Um, <clears throat> so that's something to think about. Um, we see also that you know Peter goes on to deny Jesus three times and... You know, Peter remembers the words of Jesus that uh, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter's denial of Jesus would later be what broke, would, would be what broke Peter's pride. It even says, and he went out and wept bitterly. You know, he, he was still learning. And this betrayal, along with Jesus' willingness to humbly die on the cross for for Peter and for all of us, that taught Jesus, that broke Peter's pride and made him humble and loving and and willing to sacrifice as Jesus did for him. Um, And then we have this irony of the um, the council of the elders, you know, they're saying that Jesus was blaspheming, Um, you know, they were beating him, they were mocking him, and by saying that he, that by them saying that Jesus was blaspheming, they were doing that themselves. They were actually the ones blaspheming, because again and again and again, Jesus proved that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, And that's, you know, the last thing that I want to point out here, verses 67 through 71 it says if you are the christ tell us but he said to them if i tell you you will not believe and if i ask a question you will not answer but from now on the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the power of god and they all said are you the son of god then and he said to them yes i am then they said what further need do we have of testimony for we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth so they think he's blaspheming they think that he is blasphemed. And Jesus, you know, throughout the book of Luke, throughout the Gospels, over and over again, we see that, you know, the testimony of the Old Testament, he has fulfilled all of those prophecies, and that proves that he's the Christ. The testimony of the miracles that he perform, has performed, you know, those are only things that God could do that uh that proves that he is the Christ. The testimony of John the Baptist, the forerunner, he, John the Baptist, is a fulfillment of prophecy, and he speaks of Jesus being uh, the Christ, and that proves that Jesus is the Christ. The testimony of Jesus about himself, um, you know, that is another testimony proving that Jesus is the Christ. And then the testimony of the Father. Um, is another testimony that proves that he's the Christ. And throughout the Gospels and throughout the Old Testament, we see all of these testimonies, and they haven't believed it. And Jesus says, Jesus says, if I tell you, you won't believe, because they've been told already. They've been shown over and over and over again. Countless times. And they won't believe, so he's like, even if I tell you, you're not going to believe. And guess what? Three verses later, and they said, are you the son of God then? And he says, yes, I am. Did they believe him? No, they thought he was blaspheming. 
So, they have blasphemed themselves, but when it comes down to it, the reality is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Many testimonies prove it. And because of that, because of his faith and obedience to the Father in dying in submitting his life to die on the cross, now the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. That is where he is right now since his ascension. He is at the right hand of the Father um, as Lord and Christ. And we will continue to discuss that as we pick up in Luke chapter 23 next week. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, as long as we don't none get of us sick get again. sick. Um, but <clears throat> that is that is Luke chapter twenty two. Um, you got any? You got anything? That's all. We uh, we hope you guys have a great week, and we're thankful for each of you that have listened to this and uh, went through Luke twenty two with us today. If you all have any questions, you know, please feel free to reach out. We'd we'd love to to talk with you all, answer questions. Um, even if you don't have questions, but just want to, you know, talk about something, you know, please do so. Um, you know, leave a like or a comment or s- subscribe or s- follow or whatever, you know, whatever you do on your platform. And uh, we thank you all so much for listening. And always remember, you know, we talked a lot about Jesus's sacrifice and that is the the foundation of our faith that is the gospel and that is what we that is the the foundation of what we are sharing uh, when it comes to bearing fruit that is the gospel message that we share with people um, and you know as far as humility and love and sacrificial love goes you know that is what's necessary. That's what Christ and God expect of us in, in manners of righteousness and kindness to others and, and sharing the gospel message, being willing to share the gospel message. All of these things are very impactful in, in the manner of bearing fruit. And so, as always, go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples.